0: This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and you are listening to season six, where every month we've been talking with a different young woman who has questions about faith and uh, introducing you to her story and bringing along some guests to interact with her or just to answer her questions. And so I just want to say thank you on the outset here for for being able to take a break this summer with my family. I've been busy and spending a lot of time behind the scenes talking with people about finding something real. And so today, instead of diving into our next co-host and her story and the questions that she has, I thought I would do something a little different. Um, It's August, and instead of just starting this episode off like I normally do, I thought I would make this episode more uh, like a Patreon episode. So um, speaking of Patreon, real quick before we dive in here, Uh, You are welcome, and we'd love to have you in our Patreon community. This podcast operates on help from people like you. I create bonus content for those of you who generously help us keep this podcast ministry afloat. So if you are interested in some custom stickers or a monthly bonus episode or just helping grow what we're doing here please visit findingsomethingreal.com and look for support at the top of the page. We couldn't do this podcast without your support, and we'd love to see you over there in our Patreon community. Today's episode is rough and a little raw, and it's pretty much uh, a rough draft of something that is on my heart. And I'm just going to warn you, it's a long letter. And P.S., if you like this episode and want to share, please do so this, as I said, is a rough draft of a series of blog posts that I hope to share later this week because I wanted to share the story along with pictures and links. And um, yeah, there's just so much that I want to share. And to be honest, I haven't been able to sleep well until I could put all of this to paper. So this is as rough as it gets. And since you are a listener of the Finding Something Real podcast, I thought I would just share with you Um, What God has put on my heart to share. It's a letter to my exchange daughter, Lou, and she's also been a former co-host on this program. If you are not familiar with Lou and her story and you'd like to know more about her, I'll post links to all the episodes she's co-hosted with me in the show notes, or at least most of the episodes, because she's co-hosted a lot. And listener, if this episode encourages you or you want to provide feedback, I would love to hear from you. This is pretty personal here. So please feel free to reach out to me via my website, findingsomethingreal.com, or you can just find me on Instagram at Janelle underscore M underscore Wood, or look for hashtag findingsomethingreal. Thank you. So C.S. Lewis, the theologian and author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe said, it was when I was happiest that I longed most. The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty came from. Dear Lou, I haven't slept much in days. Sleep deprivation is a killer, but if I don't write this out, I'm afraid I'll be waking up early every day until the burden on my heart transfers to the page. Or worse, one day the heaviness on my heart will shift into apathy, and somehow I'll forget what God has done and have never shared it. We write stories to remember and then encourage others. And I'll warn you, this is a long letter. In fact, it's close to a book chapter. I couldn't bear to make a cliff notes version. This week was sacred, as I was reminded over and over of these truths. God does not reject us. Even when we come to him full of shame or feelings of worthlessness, he sees us, he pays attention, he loves us, he gives us mercy, what we don't deserve, and grace more than we could ever ask for. He is the source of ultimate beauty. He is not far from us, and he is inviting us to know him. And he is enough. When you called to ask how things went during my time in Albuquerque, I said it was so much that I needed to write a blog post about it. I said I'd put it down as if it were for you, hoping my desire for you to know the beauty, truth, and goodness of God would inspire me to at least write something I know you probably will read. Why not actually address this to you, right? I mean, you were a major catalyst for why finding something real became a space for young women to ask questions about faith. By the time you arrived from Italy to spend 10 months as an exchange student, we'd hosted two precious girls before you. Each of you has captured a piece of our family's hearts. Simply put, we love you, each and every one of you. You know that. In fact, when I FaceTimed the kids a few days ago from the hotel, all four of them were giddy with excitement to tell me about a new fort they built. Did I tell you Brian's putting in a new bathtub? He let the kids have the empty box. And while I was on the phone with them, they climbed inside the dim and now precious cardboard and pointed out the sign they had placed on the wall next to the other handmade decor. I asked what it was and when the light shined on the paper, I could barely make out a bunch of familiar names the six of ours, and each of you girls, all seven, including Nora, who has become so special to us but wasn't able to come because of COVID, and the new girl, whom I won't name here because she's young and she doesn't really know us yet. We had, haven't hosted her yet, but we're sure we'll love her too. The rest of you, you know who we are, and when I asked the kids what the sign was about that they had made, they said, that's our family. Cue the tears. Each of you has been so unique and so special. We love our time hosting, but of all the girls we've hosted, your exchange year is the one that had the most abrupt, bittersweet ending. A worldwide pandemic happened and suddenly you were being sent home to Northern Italy, the epicenter of disease outbreak at the time. You were understandably scared and sad. You were heartbroken and I wanted to protect you. We all wanted to protect you. We... All in our family, we had our coping strategies. You dyed your hair. I'm pretty sure I ate a lot of chocolate. The kids soaked in all the time they could with you. We hosted an impromptu prom and graduation ceremony on the back porch, which our only attendees besides our family was our dear neighbors who watched from their deck. We put together a last-minute slideshow so your friends could say goodbye from a safe social distance. I still remember your songs, Brown-Eyed Girl and "The Live and Breathing. It was bittersweet. Then one day, just before you left, I had, previously scheduled, I had a previously scheduled podcast interview with a Christian apologist named Alan Crostick, and it was a day you were understandably hurting. So I invited you to join me in the conversation, partly to get your mind off things, partly to have yet another conversation about Jesus, the God of all comfort. I'm pretty sure Alan was not educating not just you, but also me, when he talked about apologetics coming from First Peter 3.15, where Peter advised his reader, always be prepared to give, an answer, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I loved hearing how Alan went from a skeptical agnostic to a life-changing belief in Jesus. I also loved, I especially loved how he talked with you. You were intrigued by his powerful conversion story too, and then he started answering some of your questions about faith, and it was as if a fire lit in me that day. For the rest of my life, if I could sit at the proverbial table with a young woman who wasn't sure about faith, who was willing to explore the realness of Jesus Christ and even connect her to people with stories or evidence and genuine reasons to believe, I wanted to help do that. Not too long ago, a friend of mine was interviewing me for her podcast, shout out to Amber Collum and Grace Enough. She asked what it was that, had, that has given us eyes to see exchange students the way that we do. I don't know if anyone had ever really asked me that before, but my answer came quickly. I said something like, because I know what it feels like to feel like you're on the outside looking in. I can think back to different times in my life when I felt loneliness in severe ways, Although I've wanted Christ from as far back as I can remember, I struggled to understand what it means to follow him when real life happens. There were times where when I felt especially anxious and wondered about my place in the world, I struggled with a lot of shame and guilt issues. And throughout my life, I've also struggled with rejection. I have a loving family, but I have wounds that God has slowly but surely been methodically operating on and graciously attending to as I've turned and handed them reluctantly over to him. And I say reluctantly because I don't know about you, but I have a tendency of thinking that I can handle my life, my own life. Thank you very much. But time and time again, God has reminded me that I can't, but that he can, and my emotional wounds are safe with him. And one of the first people that I remember who really helped me to see that someone who saw me outside of my own parents or family members was a kind, gentle, strong, Jesus-loving woman named Janice. The other person was her incredible husband, Jonathan. I was 13 years old when I started getting involved in the youth group they led. I was aching for someone to see me. I remember having my insecurities drowned in love, acceptance, and joy. And simply put, I wanted what they had. If Jesus Christ treated people the way Jonathan and Janice did, and he could fill my life with joy like he he did theirs, I was in. I went on a youth group road trip to Colorado the summer after seventh grade. I was the youngest one on the trip, but it didn't matter. I remember Janice coming up to me while we were in Colorado and encouraging me. She asked if I'd like to be part of a drama skit they were putting together for the conference we were at. Just a small handful of kids were picked to perform in front of a large crowd. Somehow she knew I'd enjoy that, and she deliberately pulled me in. That's how Jonathan and Janice's ministry worked. They saw people and captivated their hearts with acceptance and love. But there's only so much filling up that another human being can provide, right? And even though I tried to love Jesus, I also went looking for more love someplace else because I also believed a lot of lies about myself. And it would take me another 15 years or so of searching for fulfillment someplace else or sometimes just inside myself to hit a sort of bottom and finally come to the conclusion it was either going to be God, meaning I could trust what the Bible says, that he loves and sees me and he's enough, or I would continue being miserable and torn as I searched for fulfillment elsewhere. I chose to be all in, I've never regretted the decision to follow Christ, but I'm human and I've continued to wrestle with him every day since. I met a beautiful woman named Nevada on the rooftop of the hotel this past weekend. We were looking at the sunset and I told her briefly about some of my journey. She asked, so where do you land now? My answer to her was something like this. There's nothing and no one like Jesus. I sincerely believe Christ is the answer to this world, but sincerity doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. Many sincere people are sincerely wrong. My story, although meaningful, is my story, and I believe there is truth, and I want to know what that truth is. So the question becomes, is Christianity actually true? Is there a good God who loves us? Do I believe this stuff, not just because it makes me feel good, but because it's genuinely, objectively true? Did he really send his son into this world to die for our sins so we could be right with him for eternity? Did Jesus Christ really rise from the dead? Is there absolute truth, absolute goodness, and absolute beauty? Is there good evidence to believe all of this? Because I don't want to share lies. I want to share the way the truth, and the life. And Jesus said that's who he is. I want to know if he is telling the truth. And maybe if I hadn't been through seasons of wandering, wondering and hurting, I wouldn't be so fixated on the truth thing. I've even heard it said here on the podcast that most people aren't on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest. But thank God I never found happiness elsewhere. By the time I was in my late 20s, at least not lasting happiness, by the time I was in my late 20s and my husband wasn't the answer to all of my heart longings and we'd had several miscarriages and the pain of loss and infertility made me question everything, I truly needed to know the truth about reality. I've shared with you before about that season in my life of a night where I turned to my husband brian and quietly asked him this after years of being a christian are you sure there's a god what if all we believe is a lie he said something that i'll never forget janelle he said i've been a high school science teacher for years i know that for every action there is a reaction i know there's evil in the world that means there's goodness so enter apologetics I started listening to people who talked about things like history, science, and philosophy in relationship with Jesus Christ, and my mind was kind of blown with what some people call an embarrassment of riches for reasons that I could know that Christianity is objectively true. It was all there for me to, to discover, and for a while, I led women's Bible study at our local church, and then we read a book called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And the rest is history, as they say. Next thing you know, we're praying about opening up our home in some way. And fast forward to that looking like hosting exchange students from around the world. And then we found out that many of those students had never met a Christian before in their life. And desiring to use what I had in my hands to create a resource for them and other girls, I launched Finding Something Real in September 2019. And in April 2020, when we started talking about the gospel on the podcast, after talking with you at the table in March, I co-hosted with Girls Not Sure About Faith. I invited them on, and it was amazing. So we started planning, and by January 2021, we had officially launched the new and very unique format. Every month, we would dedicate to a different young woman, Her story and faith questions would curate the month's content. At the beginning of the month, I would invite her to have a conversation with just me. She could share her story and questions, and in the following episodes of the month, she'd be invited back as we'd make every effort to find the kind of guests who could answer her questions. Our goal? To have faith questions answered and addressed in a way that was just as the Apostle Peter directed. Prepared, gentle, and with respect. People like... Alan Krostick, Justin Brierly, Stephanie Russell, Frank Turek, Lindsay Mendenwalt, Gernot Zeilinger, Josh White, and many, many others became some of our favorite returning guests. Why? What was so special about all this? Not just because they had great answers, although they have and they did, but because of the way that they treated people. They saw the young woman sitting next to me, and even if she wasn't able to make the subsequent recordings, the episodes then became like a love letter to her, kind of like this. She could come back and revisit them at any time, and if and when she wanted to look into the truth claims of Christianity, she could come back and listen. And meanwhile, other people like you listening right now could listen in and absorb the information, maybe go out and have loving conversations with people in your life. I remember one particular podcast episode, however, that was different. My co-host wasn't a believer, but she had navigated time zone differences and social plans to be there. I'm pretty sure it was you, Lou. (laughs) The guest she talked uh, to acted like she wasn't even present. His answers were theologically sound, but emotionally insensitive. And most of what he said came off as arrogant He didn't see the person in front of him, and after the interview, I made a note never to invite him again. My friend, Krista Grosselier, a local pastor, came on the podcast a couple times a few years ago and said something that struck with me as right on. Truth without love is like a hammer, and love without truth is like a marshmallow. You see, you can't have truth without love, and love isn't love without Truth. And speaking of quotes, there's one I especially love to share with people when talking about the Finding Something Real podcast. It's by a guy named David Augsburger, and I don't know much of anything else about him, but I love his words here. He says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. And no shade to Mr. Augsburger. You'll still find me quoting him here. But this past week, I was reminded of something that's even more valuable than being heard. Being heard is great but you can't be heard if you are not at first seen. Last year, Leonie, our agnostic exchange daughter from Germany, she co-hosted several episodes with me here and had some great questions, including one about the differentiation of self-love and the love of God. She asked, how can it be fulfilling to know that you'll never be good enough? When one of the guests we had connected her with answered that question with some depth and clarity, We had several, but I think it might have been Frank Turek. Leone responded by saying something along the lines of, Thank you so much for answering that question. Janelle and I have talked about that topic before, and it never made sense to me like this. And you know, the snarky response to what she said in my head went something like, Yeah, no kidding, Leone. This guy here gets paid to go speak around the world about reasons for faith. In fact, he's one of the leading voices. But I didn't say that, and... Maybe I said it later. I don't know. But instead, I looked into something Frank hosts called the Cross-Examined Instructors Academy. It's an opportunity for people interested in apologetics to learn more, to hone their presentation skills and encourage one another. Only 60 people get to go. And I hesitantly and very cautiously applied. When I found out I was accepted almost a month later, I genuinely wondered if they had made a mistake. Or perhaps I had unintentionally embellished my application somehow, or not enough people applied, or maybe somebody dropped out. Suddenly there was a spot available. I didn't feel like I was worthy of going to a well-respected apologetics conference. Not at all. Despite my insecurity, though, I decided to go last summer. And here's the truth. I can be an anxious flyer. And one way that I mitigate that is I have my Bible with me. But somehow, on my way to the conference last year, I forgot it. I needed my Bible. I have mitigation strategies for a reason, and this was a big et-oh. As a way of trying to relieve the building anxiety of not having my favorite book, I scoured the Seattle-Tacoma airport looking for a Bible in several different bookshops, but no luck. And my mom prayed with me before I got on the plane and suggested I download a digital version, which I did, but it's not the same. When I got on the plane, I did as I always do and superstitiously stuck my hand on the side of the door and prayed, Please guard this plane with your angels, Jesus, or something like that in my head. The woman who eventually traded seats to, see- to squeeze into the middle seat next to me and her husband was carrying a large book. She set it on her lap, it was the Bible. Her name was Denise, and she and her husband were pastors, and she was not only familiar with a lot of people that I was going to see, but she was so excited to talk about it. So we talked about everything from family to finding something real to the upcoming conference to our thoughts on women in ministry, and when she told me she was a little bit of an anxious flyer who had a habit of placing her hand on the outside of the plane and saying a prayer before boarding, I kind of wanted to freak out. Are you kidding me? It was like this woman was a direct download from heaven. The four or so hours of that flight went by so quickly as not only were we discussing mutual loves, our favorite things, but she was encouraging me in a very real way. She even told me it was one of her favorite things about her trip. As the plane started to descend, I went to the lavatory, and when I came back to my seat, Denise handed me an envelope. This is for your ministry, she said. I remember protesting some, but eventually awkwardly putting the sealed envelope in my bag. It was around $200. It wasn't the first time someone would hand me that sum of money without me asking, and it wasn't the last. All that to say, I arrived at CIA last year completely insecure in my abilities as a budding apologist, but after my encounter with Denise, feeling very confident that I was where I was supposed to be. Part of the conference is about giving 12-minute or 9-minute public speeches to a handful of your peers and one of the main speakers who then critiques you. But beforehand, I had opted out. I didn't have time for that, and I wasn't prepared to do it. But something came over me, and at the last minute, I decided to rise to the challenge and throw together a presentation about the cosmological argument for God's existence, which just means that I talked about why there's something versus nothing in the universe, and how did it all just come to be. I hadn't signed up initially, so my name was added on. We couldn't pick the instructors for ourselves. Someone with a sense of humor, I'm guessing, selected my instructor, though, because my presentation was for Frank Turek, the big kahuna apologetics guy who I had talked to previously, the one who kind of runs the show and co-wrote the book I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I remember he marked me as a strong speaker. A couple peers even marked me as outstanding. And then later I got an email later on in the year, asking about wanting to be part of a potential speaking directory. Nothing ever came of that, but still, between last year and this year, there's been a lot of growth. But can I be totally honest with you? I've really struggled with knowing where I belong. Can I give reasons for the hope that I have with gentleness and respect? And is my way of doing that enough? I went on a unique apologetics missions trip in June with a group of adults and students for an amazing organization called Maven. If you haven't heard of them, please look them up. Side note. Me being there was to check it out, but it was also kind of like a week-long job interview. And although I loved nearly everything about the experience, I really struggled um, comparing myself to the other incredibly talented leaders who were uniquely gifted as well. And when I compared myself to them, I felt inadequate. I'm not like them. I'm not your typical left brain, logical type person who dives into arguments or naturally gravitates to reasons and logic for explaining faith. You probably already know that. Like I've heard previous guests say on the podcast, I'm just a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. And frankly, there was a moment where I considered what it would take to become the kind of apologist who does who stays up late at night debating things like Molinism and the modal ontological argument for God. But Lou, do those ideas sound familiar to you? (laughs) No? Yeah, neither to me. And although I've had gracious people try to explain them and they're helpful to, to pull out from time to time just the idea of them, I don't want to spend my time diving deep into some of those things. Instead, I desire to be a bridge for someone far from faith to help them connect with someone who can explain something real in relationship with Jesus Christ. I decided to go back to Cross-Examine this year, and I had a ton of peace in going. For the past few months, finding something real, it's felt like it's at a crossroads. There's some decisions I've needed to make about moving forward or not moving forward, and maybe I could explore some things there. Maybe I could share the obstacles I was facing with people who know the ins and outs of ministry or even bring to words the deep desire on my heart to be swallowed up by some larger ministry who sees what I'm doing and why it matters. Maybe I couldn't bring myself to ask for that, but I could make a point of encouraging people at that conference. In the Facebook group leading up to last week, several people expressed that insecurity and doubts. I know what it feels like, that maybe you don't belong. I could ask God for eyes to really see people who needed encouragement and a listening ear. And there was one other reason I wanted to go, Jonathan and Janice. My high school youth pastor, Jonathan, passed away just over four years ago in a tragic car accident, leaving his beautiful widow behind. I wanted to see her. She lived and lives in Albuquerque, this radiant woman who changed my life when she saw me and invested in me back when I was a teenager, and not only me but hundreds of other students. But I was scared to ask for the privilege of her time. Funny thing was, though, in choosing to go back to cross-examine, there was a gal who was looking for a roommate. Her name is Erin, and she had booked her two-bedroom suite for an extra day. I was going to room with her, and thanks to my ministry accountability partner, Janelle, and here's an aside. No, I'm not referring to myself in the third person. Janelle is my accountability ministry partner, although we do sometimes joke we're the same person, because not only do we have the same name, hers is spelled with one less L, the same birthday. years apart she's older but we also went to the same youth group and had experienced the same kind of life change when jonathan and and janice came into our lives janelle encouraged me to be brave and reach out and to my complete joy janice welcomed a time to get together on the sunday after the conference we would have lunch i couldn't believe it words fail me here i wrote a long blog post not nearly as long as this one back in 2019 when jonathan passed away I'll link it in the show notes. I wanted to tell everyone about Jonathan and Janice. I wanted to shout their story from the rooftops, but how do you capture in a bottle something someone who wasn't there could ever or never possibly understand? the long hours spent inviting students into community and grace, everything unseen, the time spent practicing music for the worship team, the endless hours of service and counseling, the early morning discipleship groups and big trips and little trips and late night events, the fervent prayers, the lost sleep, the cold rooms, the words of wisdom, the stories of God's faithfulness, the tears, the presence and availability, and the love. Those are things that I could never describe. How do you tell people about the most precious people you've ever met? And in a plot twist about 10 years ago, they had decided to come back to Washington to a city about an hour and a half from the town they previously ministered in. And it happened to be a city near our home at the time. It happened to be at the exact church we were attending at the time and they were coming to my church. Yeah, that one. And there was an iconic line in the classic movie, Casablanca, of all the gin joints and all the towns and all the world, she walks into mine. I kept quoting that line to my husband because I was overwhelmed with gratitude to have them back in my life. But you know, it just wasn't meant to be. I saw both of them a handful of times. We had two kids back then. And when Jonathan met my one-year-old daughter, Naomi, and took her into his arms, she full-on scratched his face and drew a little blood. But aside from that memorable interaction and another one where I pretended my four-year-old son had promised to begin playing the piano as a not-so-veiled excuse to spend time with Janice, There were just pleasant conversations before we moved to the other side of the state for my husband's job, and I would never see Jonathan this side of eternity again. Fast forward 10 years, and I was going to get to see this beautiful woman who had changed my life. What would it be like? I didn't have time to think about that. But before I left, however, I'm going to admit I struggled big time with shame and guilt. Janelle, my insightful ministry accountability partner, called it out and told me I needed to work through some stuff. I won't go into too much detail here, but some things happened that had me feeling like I had let people down. And the truth is, I had overcommitted myself, and I was tempted to feel really bad and retreat inward. Have you ever felt that way? Like it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are, you're going to let someone down or be misunderstood. I I got into a situation like that. I prayed about it and still had to let some people down, and it sucked. Then I was like, you know what? Hey, CIA cross examined is either going to be amazing because there's so much angst and shame wrapped up into this past week, or, uh, and I, you know, I can sense that there's a spiritual battle going on here, or I'm learning something about shame that can only be learned through some pretty hard circumstances, and maybe CIA will be a big confirmation that I don't belong. Uh, super positive, healthy outlook there. I decided that a book would need to help me. So I googled some stuff I ordered and was grateful to receive a book to help me process any shame. uh, While I was in Albuquerque, I picked up a book called Shame Interrupted How God Lives the Pain of Worthlessness and Rejection. I had a friend message me because I shared a picture of it on my social media. And she said it was one of her favorite books. But I figured that if I started to feel those old lies creep into my head, you know, things like you're not wanted here, or you don't belong, or the worst one that sometimes makes its way into my head, you're a throwaway person, I would have some material to remind me of the truth. And of course, I made sure that I packed my Bible this time too. I arrived in Albuquerque tired after a long day of travel that had me up before 3 a.m., Along the way, I talked with a sweet young woman named Katie who was going to Texas Christian University. She gave me some marketing tips, and we discussed things like sports and the current cultural climate for Christian young people, along with things about social media. When I arrived in New Mexico, I met Aaron and Stan, two fellow CIA attendees who had been graciously waiting for me. Aaron and I had communicated via text for weeks. But I was taken aback by surprise at how intentional she was to include me almost immediately. The thing is, Lou, sometimes I still struggle with the feeling-seen thing. It's one of those toxic lies perpetuated by the enemy of our souls who tells us we're invisible or that no one cares. But prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love and go and believe some garbage lie instead. By the way, most of that last line is from a famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. It's a real struggle, right? And it was back before that hymn was first penned in 1758, and it's still a struggle for all of us today. We're desperate to know we matter, that what we do has meaning and some significance. Could it be that longing in each one of us? It's just a longing for God that we try to fill in other places. I don't know whether you believe that, but sometimes I forget what satisfies It's not people's attention or affection or approval or accolades or accomplishments. It's God and God alone. I had been preparing a talk this time around instead of waiting until the last minute. I wanted to share about how beauty speaks of a good God who loves each one of us. And ironically, everything I discovered about the topic kept pointing to this one truth. God is himself the ultimate beauty. He is the ultimate truth, the ultimate goodness, and the ultimate beauty. And resting in him is enough. Like David said in Psalm 27, four, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And this is an invitation as David goes on to say about the Lord in verse eight, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Hundreds of years later Jesus would say as recorded in Matthew 11:28, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." When we rest in his presence, in his truth and goodness and beauty, we do know what that rest feels like. I tested that theory out this week and what happened shook me. It turns out, I hope I knew this already, but Jesus doesn't lie. Over and over again, I kept seeing evidences of God's beauty everywhere, first in just being seen. Like I said, before heading to cross-examine this year, I had a strangely pervasive bout with shame. Like I said, there's still struggles, there's still days like that, but it was kind of extreme. And I had brought along a book for comfort in case the feeling spread and I needed reminders of truth to fight the lies. You know what? I didn't even have to open it. Shame is rooted in rejection, but from the moment I arrived in Albuquerque, I experienced the opposite, acceptance and invitation. From Aaron, who was amazing and made me sure that I was, who made sure that I was always included, to Stan, who kept helping me with my bags and opening the doors, to Brett, who took time to give me further critique and encouragement, to Heath, who graciously provided for my dietary restrictions, and said hi to me right away. To Phoenix, who offered to help me in more ways than one. To Kevin, who helped me record my presentation. To Sharon, who allowed me to pray with her and texted with fun, spontaneous plans. To Alan, who spent 15 minutes transferring and formatting my presentation onto his computer when my tech equipment failed. To Jennifer's, plural, Jennifer's plural, whose dinner plans included me, you know who you are. To Elisa Childers, who went out of her way to encourage me after I shared, to Jorge and Diego, who made sure I had a ride and spent over an hour answering my questions, to a room full of strangers turned friends who called out the best in me, to Heather and her husband Jacob, who spent time listening to my heart behind finding something real and suggested some possible ideas, to Lori, who tenderly shared the desires of her heart To Greg, who gave me his undivided attention when I asked about possible ministry connections. To Oscar, whom I don't think I even asked, but somehow knew to record me overcoming my fears as I stepped out in front of the entire group to answer tough questions at the end of the conference. To Ty, who played hooky with me, and on and on and on. How could I not see the love of God through the kindness of people? In fact, there was even a pastor from the church named Neil Ortiz and his young daughter, Jaden, who went out of their way to show kindness and invitation. On the day, Ty and I skipped over to the coffee shop for some time to finalize our presentations and connect after a year of not seeing each other. Neil not only invited us in, but when someone else told us it was time to go, he noticed and graciously made the effort to clear the way for us to stay. In fact, a couple days later, when I spotted him in a crowd of people exiting the large 1,500 or so people church service, I wanted to thank him for his kindness. Because kindness really matters, you know. And that there, Lou, just begins to scratch the surface of some of the amazingness of this past week. But you asked specifically about the beauty presentation, the one where I started with a pink slide. Reference the Barbie movie, thanks to you and your friend's suggestions, and quoted Taylor Swift, the one where he presented less logic and more psychology questions and famous quotes. There was some logic in there too, but not enough maybe. Overall, it went really well. I think when you're giving a presentation for college-aged women to a group of older, mostly logical, philosophy-loving men, there's potential for a lost-in-translation kind of thing to happen. I had to put a picture on a seat in in the front row a framed picture of you, and a couple of your exchange sisters, Lika and Ruby, so I could remember my ideal audience. And so when it got around to feedback, it wasn't that my presentation skills weren't strong. Instead, the critique had to do more with content. And while some of that was really good critique, and I could use some of it, which was really great, I also had to come to a conclusion. Do you know what it is? The way that I share reasons for faith, i.e. apologetics, it may look different than most of my apologetics-minded friends, and that's okay. And if it's good between me and God, that's more than okay. And if I keep my eyes on Him and see the young women He's given me a special tenderness for and do ministry with them in mind, I'll be even more okay, even if... A bunch of really smart, really amazing people I admire think I could be doing it better if I did it more their way. Does that make sense? I think finding something real is about building bridges from the girl in the proverbial back pew to the place where someone can address her questions. I want her to hear of God's love, of the logic, reason, and evidences to believe that. But before she can hear those things, she needs to be heard. And before she can be heard, she needs to be seen. And after so many reminders of how God really sees and loves me this past week, I mean, I can't even go into all the beauty I encountered around every corner. I was overflowing with gratitude, which in turn gave me eyes to look for others. Specifically, God gave me eyes to see some people he put in my path. And just in case they're listening to this, Jennifer, I saw you. Thank you for decaf coffee and letting me pray with you. Mila, I saw you. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story with me. I'm praying for you as you read that book and you recognize God's amazing love and acceptance for you. Nevada, I saw you. Thank you for asking your questions. I hope to hear from you soon. Mia, I saw you. Thank you for your kindness while helping me with some tech stuff. There were others, people like Mark, Chris, and Jasmine, who went above and beyond helping me in Terminal B at the Albuquerque Airport. There was Chris, who graciously helped me with my bag and coffee and shared about his brilliant young daughter named Cassidy and told me about the wonders of Belize. And I told him I'd pack away those ideas for my 20th wedding anniversary next year. There was Ocean and Latrice and Kendall at the Phoenix Airport. And there were a lot more that I'm probably forgetting here. But finally, there was the teacher in Iraq talked about you and your studies in archaeology, including your upcoming trip to the Middle East. She wanted to know more about you and where you were headed. And when she messaged me later, I told her it was amazing that God saw it beautiful to connect the two of us. See, Lou, God is so good. And I could go on and on as I already have done. I know this is getting really long, but I have one final story and it has to do with Janice. You see, I got to see her on Sunday. It's been almost 25 years since they were my youth pastors, well before you were born, and 10 years since I saw her last, and four years since Jonathan passed away. And she came and got me at my hotel. She was radiant as always, and to tell you the truth, I was a mess. By then, the sleep deprivation had caught up with me. I'd been averaging about Uh, somewhere between three and four hours a night. And I'd spent the morning bawling my eyes out to women I barely know as we talked about family of origin stuff. (laughs) It was a real cry fest. And then as I went back to my room and began to process the fact that I got to go see Janice, I couldn't stop the flow of tears. How could I ever express my gratitude to this woman, especially when I couldn't control my emotions and just the thought of her brought me to tears? We hugged each other and she immediately set me at ease. She acknowledged that our time together would be emotionally hard, and that would be okay. We laughed and cried the whole time. What stood out to me most was how my foggy memories from 25 years ago were confirmed. I remembered that she was intentional about seeing me, and she did the same thing to everyone we encountered. She was gracious and present and interested in getting to know them. Not many people do that kind of thing well. You know the seeing part? But Janice modeled that to me 25 years ago, and she was modeling it before me just a couple days ago. She had told me she wanted to take me someplace special and kind of set apart. So we drove long past the 10-minute radius, concrete freeway corridor. I'd been trapped inside for for the past few days, for the week. We drove out about half an hour to this beautiful restaurant. It's white stucco, wood beams, rocks, flowers, and design were absolutely beautiful. The restaurant was large and Janice had made a reservation on the outdoor patio in the back, but our table wasn't ready, so we stepped back outside the front of the restaurant. A group of young adult girls who had just finished their yoga class asked for a photo in front of the restaurant. After we helped them, I turned around. I saw one man standing before me, a familiar face. It was Neil, the pastor I had met in the coffee shop at Calvary Chapel soon on campus. Oh, about thirty minutes away. He was standing alone. And instantly I bubbled over. I couldn't believe this. What are the chances? Someone who had been intentional with me just days before, I was now introducing to one of the most beautiful people I have ever known. I don't know what I said except the words, this woman changed my life because she and her husband loved Jesus and they were used for him. She saw me. Something like that came out of my mouth. Neil said he was waiting for the head pastor after he introduced himself uh, to Janice. He was waiting for Frank Turek and Alisa Childers. He wondered if they would know me. Yes, I said. And sure enough, a few minutes later, I was at it again, bubbling over with an excitement I'm not sure anyone else could ever understand as I introduced the woman who all those years ago loved me so well to some other people I now admire. I made an offhanded remark about it being awkward as we parted ways and we slid into the restaurant But Elisa turned around and said something like, it's not awkward. It's beautiful. It's obvious this woman means a lot to you. Later, I told Janice, I have always compared every person in ministry to her and Jonathan, to which she told me I probably shouldn't. And I said, I wasn't going to worry about it. (laughs) Something like that. Because to see people, really see people, to be present with them, to love on them, to tell them about the truth, beauty, and goodness of God, that's what matters. And while I deeply admire leaders who've been called to big crowds like Frank Turek and Elisa Childers and pastors who lead thousands, there is an incredible beauty in people who humbly step forward in faith to love just one person at a time. And no matter how big of a platform finding something real becomes, no matter how many girls come on this podcast, no matter how many people know about it, whether it stays small or grows so that more young women know there's a space like this for them, so that more young women know there's a space like this for them. I learned the practice of intentional seeing from Jonathan and Janice. I'll link a sermon Jonathan gave near the end of his life in the show notes in case you want to hear more about the beauty he and Janice possessed that pierced my soul. But yeah, my takeaways from a month off and a week away doing some apologetics training and a bunch of what I would call divine appointments that naturalists could never explain. Don't even try. God is good. He is true. He is beautiful. And of all the gin joints in all the world, he stepped into mine when he brought people who love like him into my life. And I'm so incredibly grateful. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. St. Augustine, I love you, Lou. Love Janelle. Until next time. Friend, if you're enjoying this episode, you may also enjoy exclusive bonus content each month. Finding Something Real is a podcast that has some costs associated with it. We have a website, monthly subscriptions to stay organized. We design things. We like to pay an assistant producer who keeps things going around here, that kind of stuff. We're not in the business of trying to make money, but we are in the business of wanting to keep this show going and be sustainable. So we use Patreon, and if you haven't heard of it, Patreon is the best place for creators to build memberships by providing exclusive access to their work and a deeper connection with their communities. Each month, patrons who support Finding Something Real get a bonus episode where we recap the month's episodes. Often those episodes feature our co-hosts, and they will often share what this journey was like. There's other perks over there, too, and it's easy to get involved. Just go to findingsomethingreal.com and click support at the top of the page. We'd love to have you over there in our Patreon community. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month, and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences, and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that. But if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.